Welcome. I am here with William O'Brien. Will O'Brien. Will is the VP for Government Affairs and Growth at SIP Mobility. He studied economics and finance at UCD. He's also my brother. So we'll be talking about talking about a whole bunch of things. We'll be talking about how he got his job and pretty cool startup. We'll be talking about talking about life, the world, being brothers. So William, thank you for joining me here at our house. Cheers. Thanks for having me. You're very kind of let me. Not about it. Not about it. So we'll start at the where we start. So you picked economics and finance. Uh, in UCD, why'd you pick it? Um, there was never like a thing of like going to Dublin or leaving Cork. I think some people are like that. I was never really like that. Um, I there was a few reasons. Um, I was flip flopping between a few different things: medicine, uh, veterin veterinary, um, and then like looking at more kind of general business courses, even though. My favorite subject was maths, um. So I didn't really know, like, I, I wasn't, I didn't know what I was doing to be honest. Um, like business appealed because, like, obviously, dad like has his own business, granddad had his own business and stuff like that. So it always been like, oh wow, that's 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 a thing people do. I think that like definitely like sparked my interest in business, but didn't really know like what angle to take into it or whatever, um. And I was more interested in the sciences growing up. Like I was always interested in science um, when we were younger. So yeah, I was kind of flip flopping between the two. And then I think like the course I chose in the end, which was economics and finance and UCD, was a nice mix because like although it was a business course, there was like a really really strong maths and stats component to it, and that preserved. The kind of science interest, like it was a BSc, um, and I really liked that. I really liked that. Um, that was good to have. While also like learning like fundamentals and like finance and things like that. So, so yeah, I shied away from like veterinary and medicine in the end because like they're really vocations, um, and I'd done work experience in both, and I was like. God, these jobs are tough. You really need to love it every day. And I think I'm maybe a bit more generous and I kind of get bored of doing the same thing, you know, constantly. Um, so, yeah, happy to do it. It's a class course, I'd say. Yeah, so that's that's why I chose it. How would you compare it to Emsons? <laughs> the record, that's my course. <laughs> I think they're like, I was going to say, like, if you're interested in doing studying business, I don't think there's two better degrees you can do. I think they're both reasonably on par. Sorry, degrees in Ireland. Um, I think they're reasonably on par with each other. The only difference really is like emphasis, you'll probably become more literate in code and I think you'll become more literate in like basic concepts of finance. But like the grand scheme of things, I really don't think what you did in college matters a whole pile. And that's something I've taken a big U-turn on even in the last year. When you're speaking about it with like Charlie, um, Gleason and Zip there the last day, like we were just saying, like, like I've been in Zip now like about a year, like, and that's been one of the biggest like kind of U turns in my stance on things is like how little credentials or yeah 
credentials be it your college course or whatever mean like you know it doesn't it really isn't a strong causative factor in people's success or, or happiness it's just like that's a reasonable correlation but it doesn't doesn't cause anything you know no it doesn't cause it so oh, I don't know smarter people than me you could ask like um um Do you want to like try and answer? <laughs> I think it's probably like deep work, like how much time you really spend like in the zone, like in flow, until you grow, like inside mm. your comfort zone. Yeah, yeah, I think that's definitely a part of it. Um, I don't really have like a solid framework on like that question, and. I'm always kind of skeptical of people who do because it's a really complex problem that has so many components of it. And I think if generally people have simple explanations for things, it's just a bit reductionist and too simplistic. And, you know, yeah, so I kind of shy away from them. But I mean, there's a few things like I'd be fairly resolute on. Like I, I think, well, first of all, I think luck, or, luck is a weird one, but like, Time, timing is is so huge, especially in entrepreneurship. Like, uh, you, know, you can have an idea, you can have like really good execution, but if you don't have the timing, that's a huge thing. So, you know, even if you're a genius mathematician, if you're born in the Bronze Age, just before, <laughs> you know, before, um, you know, the pre Enlightenment, it's nothing. You know what I mean? Like, so, um, I think knowing yourself is really important. Why would I know myself? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I think it's there for a reason. I think it's probably in every biblical, like, or religious text, like, it's it's just, like, really important. I think it's any thing a lot of people kind of shy away from. How do you even do it? Like, do you just read books on it? Like, yeah. I think it depends on the individual. Um, I... I think for me anyway, like the best thing that I've been able to do is like um take time out and spend time like by myself. Um whether that being like travelling by yourself. Should have done a bit of um or even just blocking time out in your schedule. Especially if you're an extrovert, that's a hard thing to do. Um like on a more day to day level, there's kind of simple things you can do like while I think, you know, things like Myers-Briggs are sometimes, like, nearly like a... I saw someone describe on Twitter before, it was like a... It's like horoscopes for dudes or something like that. <laughs> you know, like, it's... Again, it's not, like... It doesn't really tell you anything, but it can give you an idea of, like, what you're good at or what you're not good at. Or, like, journaling or, like, therapy or, like, yeah. Things that cause you to introspect a little bit. Meditation. Meditation, yeah. I haven't I don't have a good habit for that, but like yeah. Yeah, I think knowing yourself is like pretty key. Uh-huh. It's huge, it's huge. I think you have to like maybe if you learn about the world around you and that'll help mm. you learn yourself. Mm. Learning more about others, just learning in general. Yeah, I think it's very domain specific as well, like but um, 
Yeah, very domain specific. I think there's like, yeah. Hmm. The question I wanted to ask you is, how? I actually don't know this. How did you actually get involved with Zip? Which is, if you don't know, is one of the hottest startups in the country right now. <laughs> Do you want to actually first explain what Zip is? Yeah. So um, Zip is a scooter sharing provider, micro mobility provider. We operate like uh, these uh, share these scooter service in number of cities across the UK at the moment and Ireland, and uh, we're currently expanding into Portugal, Poland, and Spain. Um, uh, what we operate are like these like really sustainable, um, really community centric shared e-scooter schemes that avoid a lot of the industry problems around parking, um, uh, community acceptance, um, sustainability, um, through a, a really, really kind of um, uh, value-oriented uh, operating model. So, um, yeah, founded about two years ago now, um, raised about, just closed around of a, a small bridge around about a million. So, um I have about two million funded to date, and yeah, currently using that to expand into the European market. And um, yeah, so, so still based on those electric scooters that you rent for like a euro. Yeah, like we, we 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 you know buy the scooters. We have an app that syncs up with it. Um, we set up a local operations team to run the service. Um, we deal with local government. We deal with local residents. Um, we um, deal with like the local politicians in the area um, to kind of shape the scheme for that specific local area. Um, yeah, a lot of moving parts, but yeah, we're, we're the operator. Um, and how did you get in there? So... Um, and what I've raised that you're the number two in there. Uh, well, no. like, I, well, listen, it's, it's hard to say, like, you know, it's a big team and I don't think it's very hierarchical, so it's not like, mm-hmm. you know, you're number two, like... Um, you know, uh, but um, yeah, uh, we have a bit of a joke in work whether I was the first full time employee or another lad, Ben. <laughs> um, yeah, that's another story, but uh, yeah, uh, according to me, I'm the first employee. Ben will make an argument that he was the first employee. Um, and then also, our cousin Cormac was technically an employee as well, <laughs> previous to us. Cormac, man, he, yeah, he worked for Charlie for a bit while. Um, yeah, so for context, Charlie was working on it by himself for a good while, um, had a few people kind of come in and out of the scene, but he was kind of pushing it along for a year without any funding, and then um, there was a change in legislation in the UK, and for context about so the start of my final year in college, uh, myself and a friend, um, uh, my friend Liam Hanley, uh, heard of like the scooter thing when we were in Asia. We were like, that is class. Like both of us were like, this is such a good idea. It needs to come to Ireland. Blah blah blah. And um, saw it or ever online that these guys were doing it in UCD. Got on to Charlie first week or second week back in college. Was like, let's get a coffee. Met him for a coffee. Um, and actually, just like at the, at the um, at the the the, the coffee, like I just offered to set up a meeting for him on behalf like you know like he had a service that he wanted to bring to Dublin um I knew like a politician in Dublin that I think it would have been good for him to have a conversation with to get a feel for how Charlie could um no 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 not Albert um but um 
to set up that conversation and yeah like just you know, like just like wanted to help this guy out thought he was like doing something really cool brave as well like you know quite by himself doing this um he's also saying like he's also like i'm also very good friends with his younger sister so um who's she's hilarious um steph and uh uh so yeah like that's how it started and then just kind of stayed in touch like he was based on the ucd canvas so was seeing him a lot meeting up with him occasionally and that sort of thing and uh and yeah, um, then um, it was kind of coming to like exams or whatever and, you know, I'd been in touch with him about politician and stuff like that and um, he knew that's kind of where my interests lie, interested in like public sector type oriented work um, and then um, just before, like around, around kind of like I was finishing my exams in my last year of college, plan originally was to, I had two offers for masters in the UK to do uh, data science so I had applied social data science in LSE after there and uh, business analytics in Imperial so the plan was to and there was a few other applications out that I was waiting to hear back from so the plan was to do one of them after final year and go that way kind of social data science way and uh, step into that world and um, but then Charlie was like oh look we come on board we're doing the scooter thing the UK just kind of out of nowhere the UK um, legislated for these e-scooter trials so any local authority in the UK could um, could run an e-scooter trial um, you know initially these one year projects where operators would be invited in set up an operation all the data would go to the UK government and then they'd formulate some permanent policy on it part of it was part of their green restart so to restart the economy get it back going again but in an eco-friendly way kind of like as well like with transport during covid oh yeah for context this is all during covid this was may 2019 um public transport 2020 2020 yeah jesus um and uh the public transport was like reduced capacity like 20 50 percent and so they needed a diversify like there's still public public uh uh like servants like doctors and stuff like that that need to get to work so um yeah so um that was they brought it in kind of out of nowhere so then my i previously worked in kpmg i had a lot of experience there in public sector transport that lined up nicely i worked on the public sector team in consulting strategy consulting and um, i'd also done a lot of tenders there i was like i was like kind of pretty much an assistant to the the head, he was a director at the time, he's now a partner of public sector, and I was helping him with all the tenders. Like every time a new one would come in, I'd get pulled off what I was doing and be put on the tender team. Um I loved it, like for what you for people who don't know a tender is like a method the public sector use for issuing contracts. So they'll pretty much issue like nearly an exam, a load of questions and ask you to answer them. And uh, it's like marked like a um, marked literally like an exam, you know. There's a scorecard and that sort of thing. So, uh, Charlie kind of knew all this, so joined the team then to lead up our tenders and stuff like that for the summer. So did that. Joined Charlie. You joined him full time. Yeah, joined full time. Long haul. Um. Uh. Initially, it was just like to try it out and just like just get working like there's nothing happening that summer anyway but like after a week I knew like god I'm fucking I'm in for this and I said it's already after about a week or two I was like a little bit like um 
So very quickly, um, before we had any you know, success in winning any of these contracts, um, I was like, I really enjoy this. I really enjoy writing tenders. I really enjoy uh, work providing, like a, you know, potentially providing a public service um, to people, transport. And Charlie's a legend as well. The team, Ben, he's an absolute legend. Um, and then the team kind of grew a little bit more. We had other people come in, Shea, Lork and Rob, um, all like great people. And it was just like having such a laugh and was like loving the work as well. I was like, I would be mad not to stay here with this. Uh, regardless of these nice offers I have for GM Masters, like it was really a really interesting summer. We were just like bloody working like dogs all summer. There was so the DFT, the Department of Transport, literally were like two months there now for local authorities to pick operators. So the law was passed at the start of July. We've been in the you know, so that gave us all the kind of June to get ready and like the end of May. Um, we were just in the process when I joined in May of closing a funding round of 300,000 to like give us enough to pay like basic salaries you know, hire a consultant or two for like the odd things a good accountant a good lawyer and just go at the UK market so that's what we did like and yeah it was a mental like few months just like tenders were just going out and out and out like every like I think over the summer maybe there was 25 or 20 local authorities that looked for operators and um, and that was over like you know a two three month period so it was pretty intense but it was like the team we assembled was perfect in the end. Like we had, um, we had college like college students or people just out of college, re- like literally responding to exams. You know what I mean? Like and uh, under the guidance of someone who kind of had a bit of experience with doing, but like, no, yeah. really had a kind of life. <laughs> oh, we 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 knew more than we thought, and I think you learn that in hindsight. Um, I think in a startup, you always feel like you're a bit dumb. You know what I mean? Because you're doing something completely new. You know, there's no textbook there. It's not like law where they've been doing it for 300 years. Do you know what I mean? And there's like, you know, like, you know, the Law Society or, you know, the King's Inns or any of these sorts of things where a very prescribed way of doing things. Um, so, yeah, like it was, it was a really good crack. And then like, yeah, um, we managed to have a few successes, won a few contracts, um, which was cool because like, you know, like we we're there was like I think one of them for both of them we there was like seventeen other applications, but like come back to what I said about timing being important. Timing was important for the market opening. Like so, it's it's like timing, an idea, and execution. And I think they're like the three key components. If you're to boil it down really simply, what you need to succeed in a business, not like personally. Kind of could be abstracted to personally, but it's easier to talk about in, in the form of business. Um, timing Mark was opening great idea super Charlie had great vision great idea of like what he thought would resonate um, and then as we had a team of you know, five six we kind of refined that ourselves then execution just people that like were good at writing and would work long hours to get shit done quickly um, so the code was done in house pardon the code was done in house code what code writing Oh, sorry, it wasn't yet. We're not writing code. We're writing tender responses. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So responses... And these are college graduates? Uh, some of them are still in college. Uh, so, like, kind of interns and... Uh, and, yes, uh, yeah, the rest of us are still in Zip. There's one person still in college, but, yeah, the rest of us are now working full-time in Zip. Okay. Um, so one thing I wanted to ask is um, for college students and college grad- recent college graduates... Um, 
you had the choice to do your master's, you went into a startup, you have worked in a business, KPMG, you, you also done a bit of travel. Mm. How should someone make that, negotiate, make that decision between starting their own company, mm. joining a startup, going to a graduate program, doing a master's, taking a gap year? How should someone make that decision? Oh, it's, first of all, I'd say, depends, different for everyone. There's no single piece of advice you can give that'll catch everyone. So it's a really dynamic question you're asking. But like, a few things I'd say. First of all, like, always easier to travel before you, you know, start your career or something. Um, because in most corporate jobs, it's kind of hard to get a time off to work. You can do it between jobs, although in some fields, people will be like, what's going on there? Um, I think certain sort of different people are like, they don't really care. Like, it's like, if you're good at the job, you're probably going to get it. Um, but, um, yes, that's like one important consideration. That's something like I made sure doing like all three colleges, like making sure I was getting enough travel in because with the internship and I could see people are working and like <laughs> when people are saying to you working and a lot of the people would be like, oh, enjoy college while you, ha- while you can and so you realize a lot of people are saying that and you're like Jesus like I better actually enjoy college so I went went to um, yeah I went traveling the summer after that internship because I was because uh, that's so I think that's one thing um, I think they all have their merits I think a master's is good particularly if there's like something you actually want to learn about um, uh, I think if they're also business masters are particularly good if you're not coming from a business background or something like that. I think if you're coming from a business background, like, you know, doing something like commerce, maybe doing a business master's, I think the um, the the um, utility of them can be a bit reduced. Um, you know, I have a friend and they did, like, a, I think they did, like, some social science for undergrad and they did, like, a project management master's. Really good combination because you're getting, like, a, you know, holistic arts education, but also you're getting, like, real applied skills project management so that's I think good and then if you're science obviously masters is essential for that if there's a hard skill you want to skill up on data science for example good place also nobody talks about this but like <laughs> a lot but like it doesn't if you don't get the job you want in the final year it's another recruiting season if you if that's if graduate careers is something you want to go into and I don't want to shit on it I think like graduate roles because I, think I hate when people do that like a lot of people in startups are like oh like start a business it's the only way you learn anything or like something like that which is like it's boof like do you know what I mean like different things for different structure for folks like um like definitely joining a startup is not the the only thing you you should be doing thinking about after college I definitely think more people should be doing it especially like because it's you know naturally a risky endeavor and less structured but you know, with that risk, there's much higher upside, you know, like if you get a few options early on in a startup that does well, it's like, oh, that could be, you know, a deposit on a house or something like that when you're like 27 or something. And obviously it's very hard to buy houses in Dublin at the moment. You know, that's just one thing, right? Like other things are you get lots of experience. Um, oh, sorry. Um, other things are you get like lots of experience really quickly early on. Um, which is like good if you want to like if you want to um, you know accelerate your career maybe a few years quicker than other people uh, but a lot of my friends went down you know traditional management consulting you know McKinsey's some people went into like banking and stuff like that some in accounting some in 
other like roles and I don't think there's anything wrong with any of them I think it's like you know if you ask me the question and give me like a specific case study I think I could give a better route but in like, general like should they pick what they want like follow their passion their intellectual nah, curiosity passions I think is, uh, okay um, I don't really like your man Professor Scott Galloway I think he's got a lot of like crap takes and I think he said something before that like Amazon or crap and Costco are gonna like <laughs> be a huge company or something he's had some really ridiculously crap takes um but one thing he does is good at saying is like you know following your passion is maybe like a bit romantic um but i definitely think knowing what you want to do or having something you're passionate about is really 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 powerful if you can find it but not everyone can find it how did you find it Again, it comes back to like knowing yourself a little bit, but like some people don't even have it as well. You know what I mean? I think it's kind of semi-related to personality type as well. Like, you know, some people have like obsessive personalities or personalities they get like, you know, obsessive, you know, Steve Jobs levels, obsession, minimalism, you know, attention to detail, that kind of stuff. It's very clear what he was passionate about, you know, developing Apple to be like a leader in consumer electronics. You know, real vision there, think different and all that. Like, so, but like, on that, like, I do think, like, a lot of people kind of make, yeah, I think more people should consider time out. I think that's definitely something, like, especially if you've got, like, if you're blessed enough to have, like, the financial means to do so. If you don't need to support time out, not time out, but like you know, taking a year to find your way, maybe a little bit. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, well, they do for that time out year. But this is the thing. It's like it's like the obsession with like having a job or having something to do. Um. You know, like it's well, like they, they sit there and meditate all day. Exactly what you're recommending. No, no, surf all no. Day. But like, as in, like some people, I think walk into things like a three and a half year grad program a bit too lightly. Um. Now, like maybe if some people they know that if they took a year, they're not going to, you know, do something. I'm not saying go and do nothing for a year, but I'm saying. <laughs> Your ability to take risk is higher earlier in your career. And I think you should utilize that if you don't have to support others financially. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so like take risks, like like, like you did with startup. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like take risks. Um and throw yourself at opportunities as well, I think. I think like one thing to be fair to Daddy said to us like really early on was like if you want to work somewhere or get experience somewhere, offer your services for free. Um again, if you're privileged enough not to have to financially support others or whatever, like or you know, you, you have the means to do so again, I have to caveat with that. But like throw yourself at things, try and get stuck in, try and stick your head in the door, an interesting place. Um yeah. Mm-hmm. Try try and force your way into these interesting environments you know there was no like grad program and tip you know you have to just put yourself out there if you see someone doing an interesting project ask them can you be involved or 
can you have you know offer your services up first before asking some things from others like um, and I think that way you'll find opportunities come your way even if you don't know what you want to do put yourself in the vicinity of interesting people um, like there was a really good quote I heard before and it was like avoid boring people and it's like a double entendre it's like don't bore people but also don't hang around with boring people um, which is so like harsh because like <laughs> you know like, is it, like it, it might be a bit like dickish thing to say but it's, so it's also in like a way is kind of interesting like hang around with like eccentric people or yeah. spend time around them I find myself very attracted to like eccentrics and like interesting people I'm sure you're the same like and um, because yeah, there's, yeah I think put yourself in those environments and I think opportunities will just like come your way but I think it's definitely a real big pressure on people to know what they have to do and um, I saw it a lot in our course like so many like smart people and like <laughs> Oh, was, we kind of laugh at it now, but like default conversation so often is just like, oh, like what's internship or that sort of thing? Would you be, do you know, like it's that careers type talk, which is yeah. like grand because like, it is interesting stuff to talk about because we're all interested in it. But um, there's pressure there too. Like, like it's just like, it's just like there's always pressure on people to like know what they're doing next. And, um, yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned there about throwing yourself into into things like Tim Ferriss had a really I can't remember reading a blog, he's reading he had a blog post and it was how to get clients as a consultant. Yeah. And um and how we got guests on his podcast mm. and he said he started volunteering for um an entrepreneurship charity for free. It started doing really good. And then became friends with like these multi-million, billion-dollar CEOs and stuff. Yeah. So like you only get that if you throw yourself into these things, you know, and work yeah. really hard at it, be the best at it. You rise up so quickly. Yeah, just just stepping into like you know a little bit, like and backing yourself a little bit. Um. But yeah, again, caveat all this, but I know nothing. <laughs> yeah, your work is all. Of um, it's kind of a government politics on transport. Yeah. What do you see in like twenty thirty five? What will be the what would transport look like then? Um. First of all, like pro cars, without doubt, will have a way smaller role. Um. Private cars. Yeah, like single ownership cars. Um. That's the first thing. Like cars are. <laughs> I don't care. We both drive. So like. Cars have their like utility, but like as a resource, they're incredibly inefficient. I think it's something ridiculous. Like ninety eight percent of a car's lifetime is spent parked. Like, can you think of any other like, you know, you 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 have your phone right, and like you spend like what like maybe max like a few hundred yeah eight hundred quid on it, but you're using it like you know. Let's say you have six hours screen time, 18 hours awake a day, 33% of your waking day you're on it, right? Every day. And it's only, you know, 800 quid. 800 quid for a resource you use 33% of the day. Relatively high utility off coming off of it too as well because they're just the most amazing pieces of technology ever and you can't imagine life without them. 
Um, they're literally like something out of science fiction. Um, that's a pretty fucking good investment. That's what, like, like I only got like a new phone there recently over Christmas. I hadn't got a new phone for like maybe four years before that or whatever. But like, yeah, you know, it makes sense to do that. Um, to, to, to spend money for like the other end of the spectrum is like a car. It's like you might spend like maybe five grand or something and more. Um, has said ninety eight percent of its lifetime parked, and it's also like a huge carbon emitter. It's like when you boil it down to like logic like that, you're like, okay, well, I would have to save. I'm comparing these two resources. One's going to probably play a much more impactful role in the year 25 and one isn't. Um, obviously with the need to like, you know, like transport is a huge um, contributor to carbon emissions as well. You know, number two, I believe in Ireland, number one in the UK um, varies globally, but like big contributor to carbon emissions. So, um, um, so, so, so that, so that needs to go to zero, right? Before 2050. So, it's just elect. That's just carbon. It's just fossil fuel cars, electric cars. So you need to electrify. Correct. You need to. Yeah, exactly. You need to electrify. So, but I, I still think, regardless, I think private car, private car, like single-use private cars, is going to go down. Shared cars will become much more popular. Popular, and um, you know, carpooling that sort of thing, and just a more efficient use of resources as well. Global shift to like the sharing economy. Anyway, um, people our age are buying assets less preferring to rent then that's one big shift like you know private car usage going down i don't think it's going to be like a silver bullet i'm not going to come on and just be like oh yeah like microbiology will <laughs> cure cancer <laughs> do you know what i mean like it's not um but it does it will play a, a strong role in like that first last mile uh problem so like the first last mile problem is like the big problem microbiology solves and it's like okay you need to get to Let's say, like, I always think of Cork when I think of the first mile last problem because, you know, like, when we were going to school, it was like, okay, well, the 232 left from, like, what, like a 20-minute walk from the house? So we never got the 232 because it was, like, such a long walkway. So then mum would either drive us to Maryborough, which is, like, a 10-minute drive, we get a bus into town, grand, or she'd drive us the whole way. Because you couldn't solve that 20-minute trip to our bus stop, we got cars instead, right? So that is the first mile or the last mile is the biggest pain point in most journeys. So it's the hardest problem to solve because, and it makes sense, right? Like it's like, if you're going from Ballincollig to Cork City, these are like the time, time we live in and the big nearest big time, meaning nearest big city. And it makes sense to invest in infrastructure that'll get you from Ballincollig generally to Cork City generally, but not much to go from the housing estate we live in you know, nobody's going to invest it to the school we went to. So it's finding those first last mile solutions. And that's where scooters are really good because, you know, a scooter, if we had scooters growing up, we would get our scooter to the bus and either share a shared scooter or we'd own scooters. Um, we would have gone to the 232. We would have got there on time every morning because scooters are really quick. We'd fold it up, get on and get out. And we would no need for a car. You know what I mean? And um, so I think, I think Michael really, that's the kind of role it plays. Um, I think um, depending on what country you're in, uh, public transport will continue to play a bigger role. I think active travel, so cycling, walking is going to be huge, particularly in Ireland. Um, you know, the current government, to be fair to them, um, and pushed on mainly by the Greens there, have committed to huge funding to, uh, to cycling uh, in Ireland. 
365 million. A million quid a day in Ireland is being spent on cycling lanes. What was it last year, do you know? Or before <sighs> the, the last government? It, it's, it's definitely, I think, more than like a 10x increase. I think. Okay. Maybe, maybe less. So shut down bike lanes, micro-mobility scooters around the place. Yeah, cycling and walking. Yeah. Um, some councils in Ireland are really leading the charge in it. And to be fair, Dunleary Ratdown, which is the, the county council for like, you know, Dunleary, Black Rock, um, you know, that kind of area of Dublin, uh, out to kind of Sandyford, are really leading the way on this. Um, like, um, the director of transport there, his name's Robert Burns. He's, to be fair, is should follow him on Twitter. He's like really good at promoting what they do. He's really interesting on Twitter. Always tweets about active travel. Really pushing the boat out there. Fingal County Council and um, director of travel there is Dave Story. Really pushing the boat out there as well. Doing lots of good active travel measures here in Cork. Doing great jobs as well on pedestrianisation. Um. So um. Yeah. In summary. Less car, less private cars. I still think there's a role for shared cars, taxis, that sort of thing. Um, more um, first lap, more scooters, more bikes. Um, but yeah, less cars, more public transport as well. Hopefully, I love public. I love trains. Trains, yeah, they're class. And that's just a huge infrastructure investment. Yeah, they're just beautiful. They have buses, like. Oh, did you ever see that picture of like what Ireland had like as a train network pre like yeah. nineteen? Do you know what years they started decommissioning? It's like a thick web in like the 1900s, the early 1900s, and then uh, it's just like three lines, four lines. Yeah, it's sad. Um, but yeah, thinking of like train networks, do you ever see that? Um, do you ever see how they planned the Japanese uh, train network? How they actually planned the routes? Really cool example of like how biology can like inform design so what they did was like they had like a map of japan and they put like food on the areas of the main cities they wanted to connect so, or, so there's like a map and they put back like a form of bacteria or fungi fungi i think on it and left it for like you know days and the fungi then created like lines like per, uh, sorry it was and it was like a topographical map created lines of like the, the most efficient mm-hmm. line to the yeah. thing and they did it all and you know connected all of them in like because like you know it wasn't just here to here it was like one two three four five and it was like how do we connect all of these in the most efficient way and it had, it had hills as well and stuff yeah 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 yeah. so it's like a network but i think they did that like multiple times took pictures and then like averaged out Okay. that and maybe okay. like made some augmentations like using math or whatever like but I thought that was class like I thought that was class. so cool like mm-hmm. that's how they designed the bloody train network like and um, yeah so slick like so now we don't do we don't do that with scooters but <laughs> but yeah I think trains are really interesting yeah. would love to see a high speed rail network from from Cork to Belfast I think that'd be really interesting but it's it's so hard to um it's, you know, it's just it's overspending is the problem there. Um, I'm trying to limit that, like trying to limit yeah, it like that's the problem with infrastructure. Big infrastructure projects is overspend. Um, so, um, 
yeah, listen to a good podcast like that recently. What are the common factors and that sort of thing? But yeah, you know, through some of the children's hospital, I was like 13 billion, I think three billion. Yeah, was it three billion? Yeah, still, it's like the most by far most expensive hospital of all time per bed. Yeah, remember, yeah, yeah, like. I think a, a big problem with the infrastructure projects, it's not specifically the children's hospital, I think I'm just trying to think back in the podcast about the trains, and it was like, the problem is when you get someone to design it and then someone to build, the same person to build it. So single contractor um, projects. Yeah. You should have one company design it and one company build it. And that like dualistic relationship between designer engineer architect and um you know construction firm or architect engineer or you know whatever the dynamic is but it's really good because then you don't have just one person saying oh you need gold light switches <laughs> you know what i mean or yeah. insert high margin product here you know not that that happened in the general hospital right but like yeah there's a lot of interesting research out there interestingly like when they looked at american infrastructure projects and like why they overspent it's because they traditionally neglected uh, learnings from other nations. Um, sorry, this wasn't just Americans. The Americans, yes, didn't look and want to see any other best practice, but actually like European nations and non, non-American uh, developed nations wouldn't look at poorer nations as examples of good practice. They would only look at New Zealand or they would only look at the UK or the US. They wouldn't look at like Italy or, you know, um, maybe like Vietnam or something like that. I don't know. Like I can't remember the specific countries, but um, yeah. Another question I want to ask you is because you're so involved, you are lobbying the government and all that. Um, yeah. We've seen in Ireland huge rise of Sinn Féin mm-hmm. pay that was tiny. A couple, of, like, five years ago, they were at like 5%, mm-hmm. or maybe a bit. Yeah, now they're the biggest party. And that's we've seen that across the seen that across Europe, across the world, these minority voices suddenly becoming the majority, you know? And I'd ask you specifically in Ireland, what what's caused that? Mm. Do you know? I think there's a few things. Um so specifically I kind of have a piece on like or an opinion at least anyway on like global kind of if you want to call them maybe populist or maybe to put another spin on it just like as you said smaller groupings suddenly becoming bigger ones uh, loudly but specifically in the Irish context I think there's a few things there first of all looking at them as an organization anyone who's been anywhere near them can say they're incredibly well organized like, so well-organized. Like, any time I've had an interaction with a Sinn Féin rep, they've been very knowledgeable on the topic. They're, so they're clearly, like, well-informed, a good research department. Um, I've only ever had good interactions with them as well. Um, so they have good reps there. Um, so they've got, like, good public reps. I mean, you know, Owner Burn is incredibly, you know, literate on the housing topic. Um, and uh, you even saw I think Dermot Desmond come out last year backing his you know Uno, Uno Brin's, uh 
pr- proposals for unhousing, and I think they, yeah, they, there was some interaction between the two of them. For context, Dermot Desmond is an Irish billionaire, <laughs> um, and very quiet normally on things, but like one would have to assume he'd be capitalist and not a traditional Sinn Fein voter as such. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, Loretta Riley, very good on health. Mary Lou, very good orator. Um, so really well organized, good fundraising operation. Um, some would say potentially, you know, dubious, like lots of money coming in. Not dubious, but like they're getting a lot of money from, um, you know, America. And I think there was a fellow who died and like left like 750 grand. So, um, but incredibly well organized as well. Like just like, just a well run, like taking the politics away from it, looking at it like he has a business, like they're doing something right there, right? that's the first thing right like it's not just like you know some people like some people would like to simplify them and say oh there's the ira with like paint on them and someone let them in loose and then straight like no like they're not like they're it's a bit more than that now um you know they might have been the political wing of ira at some point and i think it's still unknown as to like what the, the, the connections are still between them they'll strongly refuted others won't that's another conversation that i don't know much about to be honest with you but they're a very well-run organization. Um, and um, I think they're just riding the wave of like public discontent in Ireland. Like, um, I think one issue that has just catalyzed the nation for the last two and a half years, longer even, is bloody housing. Housing. Like, so expensive. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, you're both in college in Dublin. I'm living working there now. It's insane. Like, and it's an aftermath of the recession and it's, you know, there's supply and demand forces at play there. Like, it's a complicated issue, but like, simple as that. Like, <laughs> I think. So like, that's one thing they're riding off of. Um, I think there's also like another kind of like, but I think that's right. I think that's the main one that they ride off of. Um, they, I mean, also amongst young people, there's the unity issue, which is like, I think more of an, more of a topic with young people than, you know, other parties assume it is. I know for me, it's an important um, issue, anyway, at least, um, issue topic. I find it an interesting topic. Definitely more complicated than people give it credit for. Definitely not a simplistic topic, but they, you know, involved in the last year, I think, have been doing well at getting back into the ring on being a voice on that topic. Um, I think Neil Marion's doing a good job on that. But, um, yeah, I think, I think housing is the big one there. Like, maybe health as well. Yeah, yeah. I think housing more so. Maybe it's just from my point of view where I am in my life. It's like that's the big one. <sighs> yeah. Um, you know, health. The health topic is kind of on pause. You know what I mean? Because the health system's so COVID-oriented now at the moment. Like so. Housing is just like solve it, like you know, and stop. 
there needs to be hope there as well for young people in Ireland, which I think, man, this last year has been fucking rough, like, for everyone, like, more than a year now. It's been a crap year, and people are, I think, even subconsciously and unconsciously angry about it. Um, I think there's anger there. Housing, people are angry. People who are who've had experience with the health system are angry at that. Um, but we need hope, like you know, and a lot of people's vision of their future is based on my own house and where near where my parents live. Um, you know, <laughs> I've got a friend and he's got like three kids, and he's you know working a respectable job friends working a respectable job and they're working their asses off trying to get by a house living with their their parents with three kids <laughs> and trying to buy a house in a relatively cheap area in Dublin they just keep getting outbid by like 20 grand and stuff like that for like the last year and that's really hard like mm. And forward to look where they want to. It's just like heartbreaking, like. Um. So yeah, there's a whole raft of things there in the quality of life thing, but like, I think an economic opportunity definitely feeds into that as well. I think some people are, sorry, bringing it back to globally. Like, I think like, you know, there's been. Yeah, bits I want to say on camera and bits I don't. <laughs> Some of my political views, but like, yeah, you could you could just say that like post kind of 2016, 2015 recovery hasn't exactly been an equal one. Sorry, post 2011 hasn't been an equal one. There's been divergence. Um, I think there's a few things you can point that at. Um, you know, I think things like quantitative easing have their pros and cons. Um, so that, that's one thing. Like, I think there's, I think there's, look, I just think, yeah, inequality has been is a thing. Um, but yeah, I think the recovery. There's questions to be asked on how we did an economic recovery the last time. And what we can learn from that, like, um, you know, and I think looking broadly at economies over the last kind of 20 years, this way, raft of globalization, it's like, okay, like, you know, measures of the average have gone up in most cases, but like, let's look at the variance and see how kind of the difference between the top and the bottom has gone. And that's generally widened as well. In, in some instances, and I think so wealth inequality. Yeah, I think that that I think getting to look at America, like I think that's what drove it there, like the hollowing out of manufacturing and the, the, you know, like so taking globalization, whatever, as an example there, manufacturing, outsourcing, great on the whole, good, like on average, benefits the average consumer, goods are cheaper, and that sort of thing, more efficient abroad, that sort of thing, quality remains similar. So lots of benefits, but like the problem in America, so lots of benefits for the average American, but for a certain portion of America, like 
no jobs. You throw an opioid epidemic over that and, you know, poor diet and all the spin-off things and interrelations between all these sorts of things and um and you're like looking at like the Midwest, you're like, no wonder they voted Trump, like. There's no hope, like. Don't look forward to like. Um so yeah. We'll finish on this one now. Any good books you've read lately? Listening to a good audiobook because I couldn't find the actual book called The Sovereign Individual. Um, written about 25 years ago, but really interesting kind of thesis. I'm not sure how bought into it I am yet, but it is a pretty radical idea, pretty much that they predict is like in the same way that religion fell from its like massive standing in society 500 years ago, the nation state is going to fall away as an institution be replaced by sovereign individuals who choose where they want to live because because that's where they get the best, you know, like service from the government as if the government's like a business, um, which I think is a really interesting concept. I'm not sure how bought into it is because the answer I can't, I keep thinking of is like, okay, like, you know, grand, you know, the nation states can be replaced by these kind of, you know, city state type things. But it's like, okay, like, who's going to invest in massive infrastructure, infrastructure projects or that sort of thing? Or like, Who's going to invest in the energy network? Like, you know, there's a lot of things the government invest in that private individuals won't invest in. Um, so how's the tackle that? I I that's the bit I'm kind of struggling with at the moment, but like really interesting concept like that. Like, and it's it's crazy that it was written in like the mid to late 90s is because like you know, they're talking about things like AI and crypto without naming AI and crypto. And it's kind of prophetic in some ways. Um, Peter Thiel wrote the foreword. He really likes it. He thinks it missed the mark on some things. I think he said it missed the mark on China. I didn't predict that, which it doesn't really. It doesn't really predict the rise of China. But then again, that was a hard thing to, you know, it was hard to predict that they were going to be led into the World Trade Organization. What was it, the early 2000s, which really did throw jet fuel on the China project. So, and, um, so, so like you can forgive them for that, um, but and they're kind of a bit over optimistic. Like they're talking about twenty twenty in the book, and they're like, the nation state is going to be like this in twenty twenty. Spoiler alert: it's not what they say it's going to be like. <laughs> but it's an interesting, it's an interesting concept. Um, yeah, I really like those like stories or books that kind of talk about kind of macro history, like long term cycles, like books like Sapiens. Books like Guns, Germs, and Steel, long terms like Ray Dalio is writing a book about this at the moment. Um, really? Economic cycles, yeah, economic cycles. He's released the first few chapters. I've printed them off and read them. They're really good. Um, yeah, pretty much like there's them on LinkedIn, doesn't it? Yeah, and his website. There's like arcs to every economic empire, you know. So you 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 know now it's the it was the American Empire. Next, it'll be the Chinese Empire previous to that. It was the British Empire previous to that. It was the Dutch Empire. And he takes these, like, seven measures of, like, you know, wealth, power, uh, cultural influence, um, impact on the reserve reserve currency, um, and these sorts of concepts, and maps, creates these measures for them, and then layers them over each other and shows they all... And then, so what, they'll do it, like, Britain is they'll take, like, these seven measures of 
you know, wealth, power, all these things, and average them into one line. And they'll do that for every empire. And then if you lay them over each other, you're like, oh my God, they should follow a very, very similar arc. You know, whatever, 100 to 400 year cycles. Um, and it's like, oh, America's on the way down. China's like that. So that's cool. Kind of weird that as well. So other books. I'm about to start the Sinead O'Connor um, again, audio book. Uh, I read a snippet from that in the Irish Times just like uh, two weeks ago. Unreal. She's such an interesting individual. I'd love to meet her for like have dinner with her. I think she's like an incredible individual. Really interesting Irish person who just does what they want. Really like people like that. Um, so read a really good book as well recently by the Irish journalist Ellen Coyne um, called Hello God It's Me Ellen. Uh, got that for Christmas. That was really good. It's a really interesting one. Like she's an Irish journalist who covered repeal um, the gay marriage referendum. Two real big movements in Irish um, and the liber- the liberalisation of kind of Irish social norms and the acceptance and a real you to the to kind of the old ways the Catholic Church real kind of breaking point in New Ireland. She covered them really closely, and it's all about how. And she's like very liberal in her beliefs as well, you know, with a voter repeal and that sort of thing. And uh, it's about her going back to the church and reconnecting with her, like spirituality, which I found such an interesting read. Like her meeting a priest, and she breaks down crying in one of them. And like, it's just like fucking very interesting read. Very, when I read the verb, I was like, hardly end coin, rediscovering her Catholicism. like but uh, that was class. She's a great journalist. Um, so, um, they're, yeah, they're the books I've read recently anyway, or I'm reading, I'm thinking about. All right, William, thanks for sitting down with me today. Cheers. <laughs> and there we have it, episode number two. If you liked it, then give me a rating, please. Uh, Check out my social media. We're on pretty much all the socials. You'll find the link in the description. Check out my YouTube for videos on similar topics. Uh, You can also check out, we have another YouTube channel that will have clips of this podcast and all of our other podcasts. So check that out. That's called Has Media Clips. And my YouTube channel is called Has Media. Again, links will all be in the description. And reach out to me. Was there something you liked, something you didn't like? I will be interviewing my brother again. So if there's a question you'd like me to ask him, let me know. And I'm sure I'll ask him. Bye-bye.